Welcome to Micah Bradford Connected, where we bring together hope and information to help support your life. Join us on this journey in connecting the dots and finding answers to your most challenging health issues. So let's connect where no topic is off limits. Common interests prevail, but opinions don't always align. This is Micah Bradford Connected. How does your diagnosis define you? So it's a question that y'all need to ask. You also need to ask, what does that mean? Because for us, whenever Jake received the diagnosis of autism, it seemed like there was a trend where anything that occurred after that point was because of the autism. And for me, being a seeker of information, a pragmatic person looking for answers, That was not acceptable. (laughs) And I will say that I think that happens to a lot of us, to a lot of people. How many times are you told that, well, you just have migraines. There's nothing you can do about it. Or that it's normal. Okay, so you don't feel good. Your legs are achy or whatever, but that's nothing to worry about. Because in actuality... If you ask the right questions, somebody would be able to share with you that if you're on certain medications, it actually could be something to worry about because that achiness and being lethargic could actually be a side effect from the statins you're taking. Or in our case with Jake, the distended belly where it was poochy and and poking out looked like he'd swallowed a bowling ball (laughs) quite often. Where we were told, well, that's just kids with autism. They look like that. They have that. I learned early on that no, actually, when we ask questions and don't put every attribute under the sun, along with the kitchen sink, under the autism diagnosis, we were actually able to find information and answers. So here's an example. In our situation, it was autism. So some things that we encountered. The stomach being poochy. Well, also Jake being constipated at times. Well, kids with autism have bowel issues. Okay, why are we not looking at what may be causing the bowel issues? Because just because he has autism doesn't mean that the autism and the bowel issues are related. They could be comorbid, happening at the same time, but prompted by two different antecedents or catalysts. And sure enough, when we looked and partnered with the gastroenterologist that we had uh, when Jake was little, We did an abdominal x-ray and found that he was completely backed up with poo. So those times where he would lay in the floor or lean over the furniture, contort his body in certain positions, that he'd be upset, that we couldn't console him, we couldn't figure out what was wrong. The reality was that he was constipated, didn't feel good, And through utilizing basic technology and tests like a KUB, which is a kidney, urethra, bladder, x-ray, you could see that it was backed up. And then that would tell us what actions we could take, whether it was using a natural fiber supplement, whether it was increasing his fluid intake. At that time, you know, they had prescribed Miralax or different bowel preps to help with relieving the back blockage then we saw improvement. So it was a situation of where the autism diagnosis didn't mean that the symptom wasn't something that was actionable. 
the symptom of being constipated, the symptom of him being backed up and being in pain, had a treatment. Anytime that something would occur with Jake, even to this day, if he acted out or if something happened, the first thing I would always make myself do is think, why would I do that? Why would a person, a typical person, if he was hitting his head or making a noise, why would I do that? And some of the examples, whenever we put that reasoning to the test, would be that making certain noises and being louder than usual. When we had him checked for his ears and his throat and tested, we found he had strep and that his throat hurt. Being able to, or only wanting to eat certain foods. This is one of my favorites that I love to share with families. So it's very common that our kiddos will have what we call sensory issues and only want to eat certain foods. So a lot of times it'll be put under the umbrella of, oh, he's got autism. He's a picky eater. Well, I can tell you now by the age of 23 that Jacob has had six upper and lower endoscopies because he was diagnosed with colitis, esophagitis, lymphoid hyperplasia, reflux, and the narrowing of the esophagus where he had strictures. And they have had to actually use a balloon multiple times now to stretch out the esophagus. So in situations where maybe a child hasn't had access or maybe, maybe you as a parent hadn't been given the thought or information to think, maybe there's something structurally. Why does my child eat certain foods that he eats? Why does he avoid certain foods he avoids? Structure and function are things that always come to mind whenever I'm having to assess or look at an issue with Jake. And that reasoning I carried over in many of the jobs and working with clients and medical professionals and looking at structure and function, what would make you behave that way? Another example, crazy as it sounds, quite often for kids with special needs, it goes back to food and digestive tract and who, but We'd have kiddos that were being toilet trained and they'd be at school or whether it'd be a therapist or even in one of their ABA programs and the kids would try to perch on a toilet seat. And so often the people training them would try to change that behavior because that's not the way you sat on the toilet. And they would often say, well, you know, the kids with autism have an aversion to potty training. Many of them do. Well, that's true, but the question is why? And again, going back to not letting your diagnosis dictate the outcome of elements and events that can be attributed to everyday life. In a situation of the kiddos that I knew that were perching, literally straddling on the toilet and would not actually sit on the toilet, from a position standpoint, I would often share with the therapist that they needed to take data and find out, was the child constipated? You know, when was the last time they had a bowel movement? Because the very reason that that child may be doing that is to put pressure appropriately to be able to have a bowel movement. In the world of childbirth, it's very common and familiar called the Vesalva position. But basically, that's why women, when you're giving birth, you pull your knees up to you. The pressure, the distribution of pressure. So when we look at, whether it's our children or even for ourselves, when we look at our diagnoses, so often 
everything in the kitchen sink starts to be lumped into that category. Instead of us looking at each situation independently and what would cause that circumstance. And then are there assessments to determine what the cause is that are readily available and medically reasonable? And if there are assessments, then once assessed, is there treatment that's actionable? Because what you may find, as we did, is that when we separated out and looked at these issues as health issues independently or concerns, like we would with an individual who could speak freely and maybe verbally identify the what, the where, what's wrong and why and how it feels, we were able to take meaningful action and improve the quality of Jake's life. So maybe you're thinking, well, how does that apply to me? You know, maybe it's looking at if you've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue. Some basic things that I know that doctors I worked with looked at, they looked at vitamin D levels. They checked iron levels, B vitamin levels, all the things that are components that are needed for your body to do what it needs to do. But if you don't have the data, if you aren't aware of what assessments can be done, then there's no way to know what items are actionable. And you can easily fall into that spot of everything being attributed to whatever diagnosis has been spoken over you or you've been given. The picky eating, the stomach issues, the body temperature. This is good. (laughs) Jake would often want to wear long sleeve shirts and have a lot of blankets on him. And again, I was told, well, that's just part of the sensory stuff with the kiddos with autism. And I was like, hmm, so what other things, what things could impact body temperature? And knowing firsthand myself being hypothyroid, I thought, well, shouldn't we apply some of the same reasoning to him? And sure enough, with the support and assistance of one of his wonderful doctors, we did a few simple blood tests and ding, 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 ring the bell. It was right. He had low thyroid levels. And she didn't just do one test. She was very thorough and looked at the series of blood tests that could impact the thyroid and found that, yes, indeed, he was clinically hypothyroid. So when we started looking at doing assessments on what could impact his body temperature, what could be contributing to why he's always wanting to wear a coat or a jacket. And fortunately enough, we had um, partners that would and were willing to go on the journey with me of never getting comfortable with status quo, always looking at how can we improve the quality of his life. Now hear me, that doesn't mean going on goose hunts where I'm looking for things that are unreasonable. It means though, looking at things that are plausible and probably even more so probable. So for us, the autism diagnosis was a blessing because we learned how to use it in assuring that he qualified for services, but we learned early on not to allow it to become the thing that defined Jake to the point that when we were in the community or with medical professionals, that that was what they looked at. We want them to look at our children or even us as individuals. We want to be able to do that as parents. To look at our kids and separate out what is part from the diagnosis versus a behavior versus 
having a real physical, tangible causation. Another example that I'll close with is that literally a lot of times whenever I'd work with and help families with kiddos that had ADD, ADHD, along those lines, they would talk about the kids not being hungry. And I experienced this firsthand with one of the kids where they'd say they're starving and they're hungry. And and then when it's time to eat, they'd only take a few bites and they couldn't eat a lot. And they'd say they were done, that they just couldn't eat more. And I think how many times do we have situations like that occur where we don't ask the more in-depth questions of, well, I wonder if something's wrong with little Johnny. Because I know with the families I've worked with that indeed they have found something was wrong. Again, going back to similarly, like what Jacob experienced with the esophageal issues and his esophagus. So I think that when we have a chronic health condition or we have family members and loved ones with chronic health issues, it's easy to negate complaints to be desensitized ourselves to what they're saying in their feedback. Tell you a couple weeks ago, Jake was having to go in to have some blood work done to check some liver enzymes or something. It was just a standard test with one of the meds he had been on. And I just happened to mention to the MA with his program, I said, you know what? Can you make sure that we have his doctor look at his ears? Because the last few days, he's been talking a lot about his ears hurting or it being too loud, too loud, Micah. That's what he says. (laughs) And Jacob is very sound sensitive. For those of you who are familiar with, or for those of you who are not familiar with this, it's not uncommon for kids with autism to have hyperacusis where the noises sound louder around them or that they're sensitive to certain decibel pitches, tones. We have kiddos that don't have autism that have sensory issues that have the same thing. But for Jacob, he's battled uh, sound sensitivity for quite a while. So the people that work with him and his attendants, everybody's pretty familiar with him talking about if certain classmates are being loud, he'll verbalize that. And or he'll ask to go to a different room or he'll say too loud and put his hands over his ears and then walk away. And so it hadn't really registered with any of the caretakers, the attendants, over that week. But whenever I would talk to him on the phone, it just struck me as, and maybe it was that little bit of mom intuition, (laughs) I'd like to think. But I asked the MA, I said, hey, just have doctor look at his ears. Because it seems to me he's saying a little bit more than normal that his ears hurt and it's too loud. Because when you have limited communication, there's only so many phrases that you have to say. And those phrases may have multiple meanings until you've gained additional ways to communicate in more detail. So for him, it was too loud, too loud, my ears hurt. And sure enough, when they looked at his ears, and this is important too with the diagnosis, because somebody could have just written that off to, oh, he's sound sensitive, it's the autism. The nurse looked in his ears and said, well, it just looked like there was earwax. And thankfully, the MA that was assigned to him, the attendant that was working with him, knew better than to accept that answer and said, well, we'd still like to have the doctor look at his ears. Even to the extent they took him back the following day to do so. And sure enough, my friends, the doctor took the time and she's just phenomenal. The phenomenal lady, a blessing. I mean, we just are so fortunate for her. And she looked and sure enough, Jake had a double ear infection. Nobody would have known. 
Nothing more obvious, nothing more overt, nothing out of the normal. Just a few more incidences of him saying, too loud, too loud, my ears hurt. So I will leave you on that thought that whether it's a health issue for your child, maybe you're caring for an elderly parent that is having issues that they're unable to communicate well, that is being attributed to just memory and repeating conversation and dementia. Maybe it's looking at symptoms you've had that were attributed to one diagnosis where then everything got put in the bucket. Not knowing where you're at, I would just encourage you, again, look at incidences, not only in concert with the whole person and together, but individually to determine if they're actionable, if they can be assessed, because you may be surprised that some of the things that you were told, some of the things I was told that we didn't need to worry about, didn't need to look at, that in actuality, were able to be impacted positively and improve Jake's quality of life. So until we meet again, thank you for joining me on this discussion of not letting your diagnosis define who you are. Thank you for being here. And until next time, we appreciate you being with Micah Bradford Connected.